welcome to this new week's episode of Value Nigeria podcast. Once again, my name is Ajibola and I'm your regular host. It's a pleasure to bring this episode of the podcast to you once again this week. First and foremost, this is a landmark episode of the podcast. Today is the 52nd episode of the podcast, which makes it exactly one year that we started this um, endeavor. Um, it all started quite small. It just started with an idea that um, I wanted or I was passionate about sharing my knowledge and sharing my experience with everyone that cares to listen about my journey in value investing. And um, I've been thoroughly shocked and pleasantly surprised by the reception, by the followership that this little channel has gained. Thank you very, very much for all your tuning in week on week to listen to every new episode Thank you very much to everyone for you know engaging with this podcast, sending in questions, sending in ideas, sending in suggestions, and people guests that you feel we need to bring onto the podcast to share or to glean from their knowledge. It's been a wonderful pleasure, and it's been a great experience so far. Um, I, I just want to celebrate a few milestones uh, that the podcast has achieved since we started it. Um, this is the 52nd episode, as I've earlier said, and we've had over 5,300 pleas of the podcast. Regular listeners that listen to, to the podcast number in their hundreds, you guys have all been fantastic. Um, the podcast has been listened to in almost 40 countries. Um, I'm overwhelmed by the reception and by everything so far. I'll just reel out a couple of countries where people have listened to, is listened to in it's listened to in Nigeria, United Kingdom, United States, in Seychelles, South Africa, Germany, France, Canada, Namibia, United Arab Emirates, Netherlands, Qatar, Switzerland, Israel, Turkey, Norway, Angola, Spain, Saudi Arabia, Italy, South Korea, Ghana, Australia, Kenya, Czech Republic, the Dominica. India, Philippines, Sweden, Zimbabwe, Portugal, Tanzania, Ireland, Denmark, Ivory Coast, Mauritius, Brazil, Belgium, Zambia, Ukraine. Yeah, Ukraine. Amazing. Um, Republic of Lithuania, Slovakia, Bahamas, Romania, Poland, Oman, Cyprus, Bahrain, Bene Republic, just to mention amongst the few. Thank you so much for, for tuning in all the time and listening to this podcast. I hope it has blessed you. I hope you've learned one or two things um, since the inception of, the, of this journey. Um, I'm glad that you are part of this journey. Thank you so much. Um, this is a heartfelt appreciation to everyone uh, for bringing us this far. The, the, I, I anticipate that there will be a few changes um, going forwards in the podcast, but just um, bear with us while we refine all this. I'll keep you abreast and bring you up to speed even as those changes come into being. Now, let's go forward even into today's episode. In today's episode of the podcast, I have another guest, just according to our tradition. My guest today is a family office investment professional. Um, he manages a global multi-asset portfolio uh, with assets under management, um, numbering into millions of dollars. Um, spanning across various assets such as equities, bonds, alternate assets, structured products, um, angel investing, amongst other things. Um, my guest today is, is a portfolio manager and works with Paragon Partners, which is a UK-based family office, um, family investment office. Um, he's spent quite a couple of years in the industry. He's worked with um, firms such as um, Access Bank, Cordos Capital, which is an investment bank in Nigeria, and is now with Paragon Partners, as earlier stated. My guest today is Solomon Ogene, and um, I, he's someone I respect and happen to meet over social media as well. Um, I've read a couple of his articles and seen a few of his interviews. He's very sound, very knowledgeable about investing, and I'm glad he shared a couple of tricks and um, tricks of the trade with us even on the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you very much for listening once again. So welcome to Value Nigeria podcast for this week. Um, I have another exciting guest for you. He's someone I met via social media. Um, he's 
a commentator on a lot of um, economic and you know financial activities that go on and he's a fund manager himself he's someone that i believe will bring quite a lot of knowledge to the table to to the table today and to you the listeners and my guest today is mr solomon Ogene. i hope i'm pronouncing this right um, <laughs> mr solomon do you just mind introducing yourself to the audience and probably giving me the right pronunciation for your last name if you don't mind sir <laughs> all right thank you very much um it's a pleasure to be here uh, my name is solomon Ugene. um I'm a multi-asset investment strategist and portfolio manager at Paragon Investment Partners, which is um, a UK-based family office. Um, yeah, prior to that, I worked as an investment analyst at Codros Capital, which happens to be one of Nigeria's major boutique investment banks. Then prior to that, I worked at Access Bank, their finance team, essentially, yeah. Right, perfect. You you worked in the cream, the la cream of um, financial institutions in the country, so that's that's more than enough experience to bring to the table. <laughs> um, I I always feel people's personal backgrounds or people's personal histories have a way of molding them or shaping them to be the kind of investor they are. Um, can you just share experiences from your growing up years or your formative years that you feel? has had an influence on the choice of career or the type of investor that you are today? Okay, interesting. So I remember growing up, um, my dad used to be an investor in the Nigerian stock market, right? So he would buy dailies, you know. It was one of, it was the person who forced us then while we were young to actually watch the news, you know, and all that. We were, you know, children growing up, the news was like, the least thing we want to watch, you know, so boring, you know, talking about numbers here and there, you know, so we couldn't relate, but provided he was watching it, we also had to watch it, you know. As time went on, I began to, you know, become inquisitive, I was asking questions, like, why is this, this, why is this green, why is the arrow going up, why is this red and the arrow is going down, you know, all those kind of, you know, things, and it provide me some layman e explanation, right, because he didn't have, like, a finance background, but um, he, someone that is quite passionate about you know, investment and securing the future through investment, you know. So as as time went on, I think uh, in my in my high school or what we'll call here in Nigeria here as secondary school days. So I just I knew I was passionate about business, you know, um, finance, economics, and and the like. So I just went into commercial department, and uh, while I was going into uni, um, by the way, I. Bagged my bachelor's degree in accounting from the University of Benin um, here in Nigeria. So while I was going into uni, my dad was like, I'm putting for accounting. You know, those that study accounting can pretty much work anywhere. And the day I was, you know, I really didn't care about wherever it was. And, you know, there was no proper guidance in that way. You know, but of course, I, I did study accounting and I graduated. So it was when I graduated that I, that I began to, you know, see some of my junior colleagues who were maybe in their 300 level then or final year. You know, many of them would go for internship in, um, in Bank of America or Goldman or Morgan Stanley in the UK. And some of them would get return offers. And, you know, I knew some of them who were preparing then. So it just sparked my interest. I was like, oh, what, what, what is investment banking all about? So it was then that this, permit me to call it a craze for investment banking, you know, just really started, you know, in, in Nigeria, especially among young, younger folks, right? You know, they're like investment banking, that is where everybody in finance wants to go to, you know? Well, why that somewhat contributed contributed to it like i was like okay everybody wants to go to investment banking let me go and do my research and find out what this thing really is because you know right from time right from while i was growing up i've always learned from my parents not to follow the norm do you know i've always learned to do due diligence and i think that has followed me even into you know my career as well before i before i you know make any investment decision so on the average there are a lot of proposals pitch decks from various startups looking for funding you know and all of that so when you are swamped with a lot of investment options you just have to do your due diligence because you know resources are finite while in this sense investment opportunities are infinite there are many companies you can invest in there are many stocks you can buy so you just have to ensure that you do your due diligence so that was how i acquired the knack for due diligence you know the personal flair for, for it 
So when I began doing my research and, you know, I found out about how global, you know, market is intertwined with local markets and, you know, how global economics has a way of, you know, affecting local economics and everything, you know. And it, it began to make sense and, and I began to love it. And, you know, it all made sense because, of course, I took economics classes while in uni, but, you know, it was pretty much abstract at, at the time, right? So it all began to make sense. I began to tie everything together and I was like, wow, this, this is actually interesting. And by the way, while in uni, I knew that though I studied accounting, I was definitely not going to be an accountant. So when I had friends applying to the big four, KPMG, Deloitte, EY, um, no doubt those are great places, but I just didn't, you know, it just didn't spark my interest. You know, everybody wants to go and do accounting, do audit, do tax. Now I'm not that kind of person. I get bored easily, right? So, and, you know, based on my senior colleagues who are in, were in those places, you know, just get their feedback and discuss with them. And many of them are like, ah, it's monotonous. You know, there's a level you get to where, it's, you know, where you tend to know everything, you know? So you just begin to go around that repetitive circle. And I was like, no, nah, this is not something I want, I really want to do. Right? Though there are people that love doing that, but for me, I just concluded even right from school that that was what I wanted to do. So when I, as I began to do my research into investment management, the global capital markets, the more I was drawn, you know, into it. And that was what led me to apply to Access Bank. I was hoping I could get into their treasury team at the time. But I couldn't because at that time they were favoring, you know, people who say so either you 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 were the best graduate student in this they got the course school of banking excellence, or you have maybe CFA level two or level three, you know, that kind of thing. And I didn't have it. Unfortunately for me, I didn't fall into any of those criteria. So I got into the finance and operations. But then I just knew that investment management was something I really wanted to do. So then I left. Um, I left there about I think I was six months to a year. Um, after after getting in, then I went to Codros. I would say I'm Codros. Uh, I I don't want to you know, well criticize any brand, but I would say that kind of the kind of the kind of exposure uh, I, to to investing and global capital markets that I experienced at Codros was was what formed the very foundation of you know of what I know you know and what and what I have basically today you know in that at Codros we always have this knowledge sharing sessions we have you know research analysts come you know just discuss the market everybody so whether you're in legal and compliance or you are in wealth management or whoever you are, you must have an idea of the global market because it was, you know, the capital market is a knowledge-driven, you know, it's a knowledge-driven space. So if you don't know anything about it, trust me, clients will not trust you with your money if you're an investment advisor, right? Clients will not trust you with your money, you know, and if you're somebody that happens to talk to institutions, institutional guys, they are very, very, very smart. So they, they always ask very intelligent questions. So if you're not... If you don't have a firm grasp of your macros and you know and the knowledge of your financial instruments and how you can benefit them, definitely you know you won't get you won't get traction from them or you won't get transaction flows from them. You know, and all of those kind of things. So they place a high premium on, on knowledge, you know, and growth via knowledge. You know, so that formed the bedrock. And um, to cut the long story short, I'm where I am today largely because of that foundation amazing thank, thank you very much for sharing that sir um, now at present you work with multiple assets um for an individual investor what advice do you have for them in portfolio construction with regards um deciding which or which various assets to bring into their portfolio okay that, that's a very interesting question so and um, i like the way you streamline it to individual investors because um, to a corporate investor, the whole story will be, you know, entirely different. So for an individual investor, I think there are um, there are three major factors, right, that an individual investor should actually look out for uh, when constructing a portfolio. Um, number one is their risk profile. Uh, for an individual investor, it's actually very important for you to know 
your risk profile. Very, very important, right? So by risk profile, I mean, are you risk averse, right? Or are you risk tolerant? You know, some people, they don't, they can't imagine losing money, you know? But people, they don't, they don't like, they don't even like hearing the sound of it. They want to lose money. No, 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 no. They would rather put the money under their, their beds <laughs> or in their bank accounts, you know, where they are earning, you know, interest rates that is way, way, you know, lower than the current inflation rate, you know? So you have to know yourself. So if, for instance, if you are somebody who is risk averse, you can't stand losing money, then there are some specific investment instruments that will suit your particular risk profile, right? So if you're someone who is risk averse, like very risk averse, I wouldn't advise you to go into equities because at the end of the day, you just have high blood pressure. That's in the lifetime of anyway, you know? So if you're risk averse, instruments like treasury bills or commercial papers, you know, like placements as well, mutual funds would suit you better, you know, because in those investment instruments, they place high premium on capital preservation. You know, so whereas on the flip side, if you are, you know, you're an investor or an individual that has high risk tolerance level, then it makes sense for you to go into, you know, equities. It makes sense for you to, you know, invest in venture capital deals as well. You know, so we have a lot of venture capital deals that are coming up in Nigeria. You know, it's no, it's no news that you know, Nigeria plays home to some of Africa's most valued, you know, startups as well and individuals who actually invest in these startups at the pre-seed or the seed stage you know uh, of yeah of the companies so that was one risk profile then number two investment horizon um this is very very important for for a retail investor i would say that you should have a very a long-term view essentially you should have a long-term view while there are individuals who, of course, are wealthy, high net worth individuals and all of that, but I assume that um, taking statistics, most of the individual investors we have are not so wealthy, right? So there's always this constraint of resources. So as a result of that, it's always good to play the long-term game. And the reason why I say it's good to play the long-term game is so that compounding can work in your favor, right? Yeah, so compound interest, in my opinion, is, is, is the fifth wonder of the world, you know, in the sense that there is, you know, you'll just be amazed how much maybe putting away 100K, maybe in a mutual fund for the next 10 years will actually return to you. You know, this is not taking into account inflation now, you know, so it's just, you know, just a phenomenon. So investment horizon, I would advise any individual investor to play the long-term game, very important. Then number three, cash flow needs. You know, um, cash flow needs is also a very important consideration when creating your portfolio. So by cash flow needs, um, for instance, let's say you are you're somebody who has a family and you pay school fees, say, in September, you're a family man and you pay school fees, say, in September, um, you should be able to construct your portfolio in such a way that, you know, you get cash flows for your major needs when you need them, essentially, right? So for somebody who has cash flow needs, Say, for instance, you have children abroad, you know, in this case now, and um, you pay school fees, say, September every month, right? So it makes sense. And you pay school fees, of course, in dollars, for instance, right? Then it makes sense for you to have, you know, euro bond investment that pays coupon at the time you need it. Maybe that pays coupon maybe in August, you know, or early September, just before, you know, the obligation becomes due, you know, that kind of thing. So these three factors, these factors are, of course, not exhaustive. There are still other factors that you have to consider. But for the purpose of this call, I would say um, understanding your risk profile is very important in constructing a portfolio that will suit you and your needs. Knowing your investment horizon is also so very important. I've seen some people who said, okay, they want to be investing because they want to meet a particular milestone, you know, which is fine. That is your investment horizon, right? Then three is your cash flow needs. Now, these cash flow needs can be, can be cash flow needs in FX, cash flow needs in you know, local currency. So the example I cited uh, not too long ago was for your cash flow needs in FX. You know, there are some people that also have, aside maybe school fees, they have maybe um, other obligations in, in, in US dollars. So it makes sense to ensure that a portion of your portfolio is being invested in an asset that would yield returns in the currency where you have obligations and you know that kind of thing yeah perfect thank thank you very much sir you've elucidated that beautifully well 
now now coining down on um, equities which i know is one of the portfolios or one of the various assets that you manage or that you monitor um what are the buy criterias that you've built over the years what are things that attracts you to companies things you look out for in individual companies before um pushing the buy button okay uh, that's a very very interesting question uh, you want to know my <laughs> you want to know my, my secret sauce well, it's fine uh, this is a knowledge sharing forum so um it's actually a very good one so i'll, I'll divide these factors into two into qualitative and quantitative factors um, that I look out for, and I believe every investor should actually look out for. It is by no means exhaustive, so I'll just mention a few of them. So these are not all the factors that you should look out for, you know, but I think these are very important boxes that you need to check, you know, before making an investment decision. So I'll start with the qualitative factors. I would say, number one, the business or product case or the value proposition. It's very, very important. So, for instance, um, I always use this illustration of Peloton, right? So, I remember when Peloton IPO'd, we were all watching the IPO, and you know, we wanted to buy into the IPO. You know, at the time, the evaluation was looking good. It seemed that was where everybody was going into. And I was, and I actually told my colleagues at the time that, see, I'm not comfortable with the value proposition. You know, it's just it's just a company whose entire business case or product case is um what's the word now? Exercise equipment. You know, and of course that was that was during the that was during the lockdown, you know, 2020. So it made sense at the time. But I was like post lockdown, when people start going out, would you have as much opportunity or much time to exercise? You know. So it really just it really didn't make sense to me. And you know, at the time. I wasn't really comfortable because I'm a long-term fundamental investor. I tell myself as a long-term fundamental investor, right? So, well, why, why? of course, we bought little positions with the hope of, you know, riding the market, then making some gains, of course, as, as traders that we are and just executing our position. But for a long-term investment, I really wasn't comfortable with it because the business case didn't make so much sense, you know, to me. And you know, when I started seeing all of the things that have been happening with the stock over the past three, four months, you know, I was, actually wasn't surprised because I saw that, you know, coming. You know, so the business case is very important. The question any investor should ask himself is that, okay, the business case or the value proposition for this company is it long term? Is it sustainable? You know, is it sustainable? As of 2020, of course, it made sense because a lot of people were at home, there were restrictions, so you really don't have a choice. You have if you just have to you know stay at home and a lot of people you know instead of staying at home eating and just accumulating all that fat since they were not going home out right a lot of people had to buy all of this exercise equipment at home to you know keep keep in shape and all of that you know but life post pandemic was something many investors didn't consider you know at the time and now it's beginning to dawn on the company i think the company has share price has actually declined you know over 80 percent you know, over the past, you know, six to seven months thereabout, which is, you know, which is crazy, you know, in, in my opinion. So the business and the product case is very, very important. You know, you must ensure that they, they have product or their overall value proposition is one that will stand the test of time. In as much as companies are always evolving, right, but you find out that their major business case, their major revenue earners should actually last the test of time. So another qualitative factor I'll look out for is I always look out for is management. You know, management is actually very, very important in, in any company, right? So the pedigree of of the management team and usually their track record is very, very, very important. You know. So for instance, um there is this Nigerian guy that was you know caught for fraud and was extradited to the US. I wouldn't want to mention you know names on this platform. You know, imagine somebody like that being on the board of a company and you're expecting me to invest. It's definitely not possible because his track record and antecedents are proven otherwise, you know, that kind of thing. So those are things that, you know, those two things are things I believe investors should look out for on the qualitative side. Why the other factors, but I'll just touch on this ones for now. Then the quantitative side, which is very important, you know, I would say number one is earnings growth. Very, very, very important. You know, and what what I mean by earnings growth is earnings growth in relation to its peers, 
Right. So for instance, let's say I want to invest in banking stocks that are listed on the New York Stock Exchange now, you know, and I find out and I maybe shortlist a couple of them based on the criteria. And I start looking at okay, what are, what is the earnings trajectory? What is the earnings growth for this company been over the past say, five years? You know, I do my analysis. Okay, um, over the past five years, earnings have grown 0.5x for this company. This one earnings has grown, earnings has grown say 3x. You know, those factors. Those factors gives you they give you a sense of the sales numbers. You know, gives you a sense of um, what. Their, you know, the faith their, what's it called now? The faith their customers have in the product. Do you understand exactly? So it means that okay, this product, this company, their their services or their products will continue to be viable in the foreseeable future since earnings have been growing, you know, um, progressively over the past say five ten years. You know, that's a factor you need to look at. Um, also, price to earnings ratio. As an investor, this is also very very important. So all things being equal, the PE ratio suggests whether you know the company's share you know, the company's share price is undervalued or overvalued. You know, essentially what investors think about the stock. You know, so all things being equal. Remember, I'm saying all things being equal because I think that's a very important, a very important caveat to add. Yeah. So all things being equal, a low a company with a low price to earnings ratio means that the company is investors see the company as you know un, undervalued or people don't really see um what's the word that they are not properly valued on the stock exchange so it means you might want to look at it and you know examine more fundamentals and why is this company's share price lower compared to its peers right so i remember when i wanted to buy um u.s banking stocks so as of last year looking at the global macro environment i saw that you know, a rate hike was going to be on the horizon, and typically companies that benefit from a rate hike, you know, is usually you know, are usually banks, right? Because as a result of that, interest income will go up because definitely interest on loans, interest on mortgage, all of those things will go up, and that is a very important contributor to their, you know, to their bottom line essentially, right? So when you look at, you know, when I was looking at the companies to buy, okay, Bank of America was very cheap compared to maybe. JP Morgan or Goldman, what exactly was wrong? You know, so that triggered my interest. So I began to dig further and dig further. So, you know, in as much as low P ratio might not necessarily suggest that there's value yet to be untapped, but I think low P ratio should be um, should be something you'd look at critically and find out what values are in this company that other investors are not seeing. Because essentially, one thing I realized is that for you to make money in in financial market you have to see what others do not see essentially you have to see what others do not see honestly because by the time you see that everybody is flooding towards a particular stock just forget it you might just make a little return on it but when you see that this is a stock that people are not paying attention to and you find out that and you understand you, know, you do your analysis on the fundamentals and you find out that this company is actually a gold mine people people actually don't know they may begin to take positions based on your analysis. And eventually, if you turn out right, then you'll be better off for it as an investor. So I've talked about earnings growth. I've talked about um, price to earnings ratio. I'm also going to talk about earnings forecast or guidance. So this is something that is very popular in foreign markets that we really don't see here. So in that companies, you know, um, I think the Q4 results, many of these companies released. They also give Q1 2022 forward guidance, right? So, okay, well, this year, this this um, January, we are expecting EPS to grow. We are expecting EPS to decline, given the current state of the global economy and all of that. Or we are expecting uh, we are expecting our subscriber growth. So we are expecting client growth to decline. You know all of those metrics. So those are indicators to investors that okay, this is what the company Think so. So when you when you begin to see a company slash its growth forecast like that, you find out that the usual response in foreign markets is that investors start to dump your stock. You know, like and the thing about markets is that investors are not uh, what's their word now? They don't have mercy on you <laughs> as a company. Sorry to you know, for lack of better word, that is just what I use. You know, once they find out that you're slashing your 
earnings forecast, it means therefore that you're not expecting yourself to grow, you know, and you're slashing your, you know, your revenue forecast, you're slashing your, you know, subscriber forecast, maybe in the case of um, maybe a subscriber kind of company, maybe like Netflix or maybe, yeah, an Amazon Prime and, you know, that kind of thing. So you find out that investors begin to lose faith. So those are the factors that you, you know, look out for. Um, so let me just quickly recap for those who have been able to, who are lost along the line. So for qualitative factor, as an investor, if you look at the business or the value proposition, then if you look at the pedigree of management, then for quantitative factors, I believe you should look at earnings growth relative to peers. Earnings growth, of course, earnings is the same as in earnings per share EPS, right? Then price to earnings ratio, which might suggest under or over valuation, which is also compared to peers as well. Then also, thirdly, you should look at company's earnings forecast or guidance. Yeah, so those are the factors that I believe you should look out for in companies before buying. And if all of these factors are favorable, the business case is superb, management, top-notch, earnings growth is progressive and exponential, PE ratio not too expensive relative, relative to their peers, earnings forecast is good, then I think that company might be worth adding to your buy list. You might not necessarily buy it immediately, but it is worth adding to your buy list. Oh, thank, thank you very, very much for that um, quite detailed response. Um, you've mentioned something very important, which I just want to touch on, which is um, foreign markets versus the Nigerian markets. Now, as, as a retail investor, what, what, what would your advice be? Should we concentrate on the Nigerian market? Should we start thinking of foreign markets? What are the pros and cons of either of these approaches? Okay, uh, very, very interesting question. So for a retail investor, mm. I think for a retail investor, it is actually important for you to invest in your local market, especially when you are resident here in Nigeria and you have obligations also in Naira. Uh, then it makes sense for you to invest in Naira and in Naira denominated instruments, right? So and on the flip side, it also makes sense to invest in um, foreign markets because of the you know the fx risk diversification you know so for an investor it is very important to diversify your risk and there are different forms of risks right so fx risk is a very important risk that faces nigerian investors you know very important so i would say that it is very important to invest First of all, your local market, that is not negotiable. We've also seen Nigerians in the diaspora invest in, in the Nigerian market as well. Because the pros of investing in the Nigerian market include, number one, it's cheaper to invest in the Nigerian market, right, compared to foreign markets. With 500K, which is circa, give or take, $1,000, with 500K, you're able to buy like a substantial amount of a company stock, especially maybe you're buying um, a... What's the word now? Like a low cap stock, right? Maybe you can buy a lot of units. But with a thousand dollars, you won't be able to buy as much, you know. So it is definitely cheaper to um, buy a uh, to invest in Nigerian market. So number one is cheaper to invest in Nigerian market. Uh, then number two, as far as risk is concerned, you know, the Nigerian market is less volatile compared to foreign markets. In the sense that, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, the Nigerian market, there's always this, um, this circuit breaker now. Yeah, in the Nigerian market. Once a stock maybe gets to, maybe wants to cross the 10% gain or 10% loss threshold, you know, that circuit breaker will be activated, which in a way helps investors mitigate their losses, you know. But in foreign markets, you see a stock tank 50% and it's still going down. You know, so the losses are magnified, you know. So as far as um, the risk is concerned, I think um, the Nigerian market, though it's limited in depth, but, you know, you, as far as risk is concerned, I think um, you'll be able to mitigate your risks better. Then number two, it is cheaper to invest in the Nigerian market. Then on the flip side, the, the foreign, foreign markets provide you with a whole lot of options. You'll be spoiled for choice, like honestly. You will be spoiled for choice. A whole lot of options aside equities. Aside equities, you see ETFs, you know, 
you see a lot of investment vehicles, futures, forward derivatives. So there's just there's a whole lot you can actually invest in in, in, in the foreign market. As against our market, I know our market is evolving and the NGX is trying, you know, to include derivatives. I think they had a conversation about that. I think that was last year, last two years. And I think it's something that they're really working on, you know, because the Nigerian investors are actually becoming more sophisticated by the day. And as a result of that, you know, there's a growing demand for more complex products and a growing demand for more companies also to be listed. I think in Nigeria at the moment, I don't think the amount of companies or the number of companies listed on the NGX is up to 300. I don't think so. They're they are coupled with the few ones listed on, on NASDAQ, you know, and, and, and all of that. I think uh, the Nigerian market still has a long way to go, but as far as options is concerned, if you want to be open to a world of endless possibilities, as far as options, is con options are concerned, then the US market is the way to go, you know. Um, so pro, that's the one of one pro. The, another pro of the US, of the US market is, is that aside the fact that you have several options, you know, financing stock purchase or financing investment, especially for a retail investor, is easier, right? So there's a lot of leverage product you can really, you know, lay your hands on to invest. Leverage, it's a two-headed two sword, I would say. Leverage can magnify your upside and it can also magnify your downside risk as well, you know. So, but you just have a lot of those products, leverage products are mainstream in foreign markets. Like, they are normal. In fact, brokers will be begging you to come and take leverage, you know, and all of that. But in Nigeria here, while you know, I, I know of a few investment houses that offer leverage products, uh, it is not mainstream. Here actually, you know, it's not mainstream here. I think, um, yeah, so yeah, I think in one forum I was on, which um, you're also part of, sir. <laughs> yeah, I think some people, were, some people were talking about leverage, you know, and all of that, and all of that. So I think, um, as far as options are concerned, then as far as, um, um, you know, leverage also is concerned in you know, access to funding, you know, yeah, access to capital for investing. Foreign markets, you know, those guys have it. Like honestly, I think well, when you have a system that has been working for as long as they have, I think it just makes sense for them to, you know, get to this point. And I think Nigeria is actually a very interesting market. We've generated a lot of um, interest from foreign, from foreign investors. A lot of foreign investors. I remember when I was working at Codros, we had a lot of foreign clients, you know, and all of that. Foreign fund managers, you know. With a lot of interest in the Nigerian market, right? So, but I, I know that Nigerian market has a long way to go. But in summary, I would say that for an individual investor, you know, like I've established earlier on, you should try to have a blend of, when as much as you're investing in Naira and Naira assets, you should also have some investment in USD as well, you know, and not necessarily equities investments, right? So, they are mutual funds. Dollar mutual funds, right, or euro bond funds, where you can have access to as well as five hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, you know. So that will serve as a way of, you know, diversify, diversifying away your foreign exchange risks, you know. And like maybe when you have all your investment in Naira and maybe the CBN device to devalue, you find out that you know your investment that used to be worth X Y Z dollars is now worth xyz divided by two dollars and essentially a worse off right but when you diversify away some of those your foreign exchanges you find out that you know though the value devaluation might happen you find out that you know you are still not in a bad place because of your dollar investment and as far as equities is concerned i think some um some guys have come up with an initiative there are a lot of apps out there that can that help retail investors have access to the foreign market. Apps like um, Bamboo, Chaka, you know, apps like that, I'm sure, you know. Uh, yeah, I'm sure anyone who listens to the podcast must have heard of one of these names, you know, before. So, and their entry, entry amount is usually very low, right? So I had a friend who started investing in, through, I think it was the Bamboo that he was using. You know, that was at the heart of the pandemic. And, you know, when the pandemic happened, I was able to buy, you know, good stocks at giveaway prices. And now it's actually doing very well, despite the fact that, you know, 
the Nasdaq and the S&P has been returning terribly over the past, say, one, two months, but it has been, you know, better off for it, you know. So I think it is very important that you diversify your risk. So in as much as not everybody has that means at this point in time, I would say that if it's something you can do, please do it. Yeah, so. Thank, thank you very, very, very much for that. I get that question quite often from a lot of listeners about how to go about buying buying foreign companies. Um, I, I think we'll probably bring you back at some other time, if you don't mind, to delve deeper into this topic. Um, I'm also quite conscious of the time, so <laughs> I'm beginning to wind down the conversation. Um, just maybe two more questions and then we can wrap this up. Um, now, over, over your years of investing, you've seen quite a lot of foreign investors, retail investors, you've seen the two sides of the coin. Are there any misconceptions that you've noticed retail investors have about the Nigerian market or about investing that you just want to debunk? Yes, yes, yes. Um, very, very important. Uh, I think uh, in an article I wrote um, with Naira Metrics, there was something I said, uh, and it's still profound. You know, I said that retail investors in Nigeria often have this bias that they need to have a lot of money for them to invest, which is wrong, which is wrong. You don't necessarily have to be the dangotes of this world for you to actually invest. So I think one thing about investment is, number one, discipline. Very, very important. Investment has a lot to do with discipline. You know, it has a lot to do with discipline. You know, you being able to discipline yourself to ensure that you put it away X, y, X amount of money at the end of every month or depending on your cash flow, right? But periodically, you know. So I uh, an example is, for instance, maybe you are somebody who maybe hands 100K, for instance, 100,000 Naira every month. Then you can start to put away maybe 20,000 Naira into your stock booking account every month. You know, it might sound, it might look insignificant, you know, because that is another thing retail investors would you know, always say, aside the fact that you know they need plenty of money to invest. They also say that um, the gains on maybe their little uh, investment amount, the gains will not matter much. So there's no incentive for them to go ahead. You know, not knowing that there's something called compounding, whether you're compounding your dividend, you know, you're compounding your interest, you know, or those kind of things, or you're reinvesting your coupon from your bond. You know, all of these things add up in the long run. You know, they add up in the long run. So what I would tell any retail investor is that, number one, if you have this mindset that you need to have a lot of money to invest, then I would say that that mindset is going to be an impediment to your success as far as the investment journey is concerned. What I would say is that you start now with whatever you can afford to spare, you know, then, of course, as your earning power increases, you definitely have to increase the amount. So I think how I started, as a young professional, I was, you know, setting aside a particular percentage of my salary, you know, I was funding my brokerage account. Maybe this month, I said, okay, I have already have a buy list. Okay, these are the companies I'm going to be buying, and I'm going to be buying them little by little and accumulating units. And again, for a retail investor, since you don't have so much money, then your Investment horizon should be the long term, right? And if you are playing the long game, then you shouldn't just bother. You just have to keep on making consistent efforts, you know, ensure that every month or periodically, anytime you set out, you plan to fund your brokerage account or maybe make an investment, you ensure that you do it, you know. So because in investing, one habit that you need to learn is discipline, not funding your brokerage account today, then the next time you fund it in the, is in the next six months. Maybe, if, except, of course, you are funding it with one very big, you know, amount of money. But as a retail investor, we are assuming that, you know, you really don't have so much resources at your disposal. So it is very necessary for you to play the long game, be disciplined, ensure that you make consistent efforts. And in the long run, those efforts would, would add up. Like I was seeing a particular calculation online uh, I might be wrong though in terms of the figures, but the person was like, if you if you invest maybe a hundred thousand dollars, for instance, for for thirty years, you will get X returns. If you invest hundred thousand dollars for ten years, definitely the return you're going to be getting is going to be that X minus one, that, which means that the return you're going to be getting in 
10 years is definitely going to be longer, sorry, lower than the return you're going to be getting if you invest for 30 years. So that just, you know, speaks a lot or speaks volume of the fact that time should be your accomplice as far as the investment journey is concerned. In fact, time should be weaponized, sorry to say, for lack of better words. Time should work in your advantage. So for instance, now I sleep every day, waking up that every night that passes, I know that I'm getting an interest in one investment or my coupon is adding up, you know, that kind of thing. So time is not just passing. Time is not just time should work for you. And I think that's the whole essence of investment, leveraging time to compound your returns. And essentially, yeah. So I would say to every retail, retail investor out there that is, you know, confused about whether to start, whether my, my salary is too small or whatever, I would say start with what you have. Many brokerage accounts in Nigeria, many stockbroking firms will tell you that the minimum you can fund your brokerage account with is 50000 which I believe is, is quite low, right? So you can work with that. Then as your earning power increases, then you can increase it, you know, increase whatever you're investing in. And before you know it, You'll be making really decent money as you compound your interest and your dividends, essentially. Awesome. Thank, thank you very, very much. Um, th- this is a perfect place to leave the discussion. Um, you, you've done justice to it. However, just before I let you go, in one minute, um, can you just tell us people that you look up to, if you have any mentors, if you have role models in investing, um, if you just don't mind sharing them with us. Okay, interesting, interesting. Yeah, so uh, as far as role models are concerned, um, one of my role models in investing, as far as alternative investing is concerned, VC, art, and, you know, private equity is Nia Denubi. Um, he's executive director of VFD Group. Um, yeah, so he's, he's, he's my mentor as far as alternative investing and VC is concerned. He's doing a fantastic job. Then as far as role models are concerned, I would say Warren Buffett, you know, of course, he's everybody's role model as far as investing is concerned. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but one thing that really makes him stand out for me is the fact that he's a fundamentalist, you know, and I believe that as, as an investor, in as much as, you know, these days you have to have a blend of fundamental and technical analysis, you know, to, to, to know the right time, in quotes, to invest, you know, but having a hang on your fundamentals is very, 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 very key. So one of my role models is Warren Buffett. I, I've read a lot of his books and I've followed him for, for quite a while and, you know, I've learned a whole lot from him. So from all of these people, there is always a, there was always, there's always a downside to it, right? So I was actually very happy when I saw, I think a few weeks back, that he invested in a company that has that has significant holdings in crypto. I think yeah, New Bank. Yeah, so there's this new new bank uh, that just IPO'd uh, late last year in the US. Uh, they are a Brazilian bank, you know. So they're just yeah, they're a Brazilian new bank. I think new bank just like our Kuda Bank, you know, those kind of that they are trying to rival and provide access financial services to a wide range of people who would. On the normal day, not have access to these big banks as it were, you know. So I found out that New Bank has a lot of exposure to crypto, and he actually invested in a company like that. I'm sure he's aware of all of those things because I think a, a while back he came up saying that crypto is this. That he doesn't understand crypto. It doesn't have a, um, it doesn't have a use case. So while I'm neither here nor there as far as crypto is concerned, well, I would say that the fact that is willing to change his mind, you know, so he's, he's beginning to become more flexible, you know, more open to new and novel things is actually something I'm, I'm actually I'm happy about because I think that was one of the major criticism, one of the major reasons why people always criticize him, that he's all for the fundamentals, he's not flexible, he's very rigid. Well, why that has brought him to where he is at the moment and why that has worked in his generation, you know, for you to invest in this current time, you just have to be very flexible and open, you know, because many of the opportunities that will make you perhaps maybe a millionaire or billionaire are opportunities that you might likely find strange, as it were, you know. Yeah, so he, then, um, uh, yeah, Warren Buffett, then there is this man, Steve Cohen. Yes, Steve Cohen is actually a hedge fund um, investor. 
And um, well, one of my aspirations is to someday own a hedge fund. So, and again, where I work, you know, is similar to a hedge fund in the sense that we deploy a lot of strategies, long, short strategies, event-driven strategies, macro strategies to invest. So, you know, reading his books just gives me an insight and that's also helped me get better at my job anyway, especially when it, you know, comes to the short side of, of things. Because, of course, when you're investing in Nigeria, you hardly do shorting. You hardly short any stock because there's no product for you to, there's no product that you can use to short a stock. Maybe a stock that you believe that, ah, this stock is grossly overvalued at this point in time. And... You know, I believe that price will drop. There's no there's no way you can short a Nigerian stock. The best you can do as a Nigerian investor is to take profit and wait on the sidelines till when it drops. Right? But in foreign markets, that's one of the advantages I mentioned earlier. You have access to a lot of products. So in foreign markets, if I see that this company is overvalued, then I can decide to short the stock. So I'm making money as the stock goes up. I'm making money as the stock comes crashing down. Right? A lot of investors shorted peloton you know shorted peloton a lot of investors shorted zoom because they found out that these companies were overvalued because of the pandemic syndrome so now post pandemic nobody will be gymming in their house as much and all of that and again to affect the company's financials and stock prices start crashing down a lot of people shorted peloton a lot of people shorted zoom and they made very good money you know so it was his material that exposed me to the fact that, okay, shorting is possible. In fact, his hedge funds, they make a lot of money from shorting overvalued stocks, you know, and all of that, and a lot of other strategies that they use. So, yes, uh, Warren Buffett, Steve Cohen, as far as my role models are concerned. Then my mentor, Nia Denubi, very fantastic guy. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you very, very, very much. Um, with regards shorting, I think the, the NGX is beginning to bring in some products, but it's still very much in the infancy. I don't think anybody knows anything about it. So um, there's still quite a lot of work to do by the NGX about that. Thank you very, very much for your time. We, we only scratched the surface of the what I had planned discussing with you, but hopefully we would have another conversation at another period. I really appreciate your time today. Welcome, sir. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> the pleasure is all us. Do have a lovely week ahead, sir.